Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Before we start actually using new technologies to improve accessibility, a lot of work has already gone into developing some of those concepts. There's a lot of work in brainstorming these ideas, modifying them, prototyping them, etc. And this week we'll hear about someone who's been doing exactly that for a long time. Josh Mealy is a blind scientist at the Smith Kettlewell Eye Research Institute, and we will talk with him about his research and some of the concepts he's worked on, including tactile maps, using touch pens to navigate a complicated document, and you describe. But first for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Josh Mealy. I feel very lucky to be doing what I do. I can't think of anything more interesting, rewarding, or fun. And that will certainly become obvious as we talk with Josh more in this show. He is equally passionate about at least one of his hobbies. The Blind Arduino Project is basically a a, a way to provide better access to and teach people about how blind and visually impaired people can uh, build stuff with the hobby robotics electronics that's so prevalent today. So if you are a blind kid and you want to be part of the robotics club, there is definitely a way to do that. And there's a group out here that's very excited to help you do what you want to do and support you in in that. And that's called the Blind Arduino Project. And we'll be hearing more about that in next week's episode of Eyes on Success. Let's start by meeting Josh and learning about the Smith Kettlewell Eye Research Institute where he works. Okay, we're here with Josh today. Once again, you've been on the show once before talking about doing electronics for blind individuals. But today we're going to talk a little bit more globally about some of your research and what you do. But maybe you can uh, reintroduce yourself to our listeners. Absolutely. I'd be happy to, and I'm happy to be here again. Um, My name is Josh Mealy, and I am a scientist at the Smith Kettlewell Eye Research Institute in San Francisco. Smith Kettlewell is a really cool um, nonprofit research institute. What kind of work do they do there? There are three things that happen at Smith Kettlewell. One is understanding basic principles of how the human visual system works. Another is looking at eye diseases and their cures, in particular diseases of eye muscles. And then uh, the third thing that we do at Smith Kettlewell is rehabilitation engineering research for people who are blind or have low vision. And so I am uh, part of the team that leads research in the third area. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you do there? Basically, my job is to research and develop cool technologies that make a difference in the lives of blind people, which is a nice job to have. And you're a particularly good person to have in charge of such a project since you yourself are blind, right? Yeah, um, I'm blind. I've been blind since I was four years old. I got burned when I was a little kid and have gone through my entire education from kindergarten through graduate school as a, as a blind 
person. I've always been interested in science, and for a long time I thought I was going to be a physicist or a space scientist, um, both of which are really fascinating to me. But I got a job in college that was working on screen readers, and I kind of fell in love with the idea of accessible technology. And I realized that it's a field that is inventing the tools for blind people to do the things they want to do. And that in order to have those tools be as effective as possible, it really requires people who have a deep understanding of what the issues are to be doing the inventing. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is Josh's research and some of the concepts he's worked on, including tactile maps, touch pens, and you describe. So you've been at Smith Kettlewell for a long time and have worked on a wide range of projects. Uh, Looking at your website, there are a number of interesting uh, projects that you've been involved in over the years. Maybe you can give us kind of an overview, and then we can talk about some specific projects. Sure. Well, one of the beautiful things about my job is that I largely get to follow my interests. And so a lot of my work has to do with access to information for spatial information, getting around from one place to another, but also just um, general access to computers, sonification, meaning um, using sound to represent quantitative or qualitative data. I've also been really interested by access to what's usually considered less important information, like stuff around entertainment. How about you start by describing your work on tactile maps? When I first got out of graduate school and started at Smith Kettlewell, I took some of the tools that I had designed while I was in graduate school. I I built a set of data representation tools so that I could look at my uh, look at my graduate data as I was collecting it. So I had a, a sonification and tactile display toolkit that I had developed, and I um, I took the, the tactile component of that and turned it into a way of drawing maps using a geographic database to automatically render tactile street maps of any place I wanted. Um, so that was called TMAP, the Tactile Maps Automated Production System, and that actually uh, was one of the first projects I did. And how did the TMAP system work? What was that all about? TMAP actually, uh, I ran it for a number of years as a service where people could go to the website. You know, they could type in an address. It would give them a perfectly formatted Braille street map ready to be printed out on their Braille embosser. And that worked really well. But the uh, TMAP eventually just um, sort of died. It stopped working and we needed to revive it. But that's what happened. The San Francisco Lighthouse said... We really thought that was useful. We'd like to have that service back. And so what I did was I found funding that allowed us to reinstantiate TMAP with modern technology. And um, we did it in collaboration with the San Francisco Lighthouse. And when, um, when we were done rebuilding it, I gave it to them as a tool to use and to operate. What were some of the issues with putting together and designing such a system? It turns out that tactile graphics, as most of your blind listeners will know, um, you can't just take a visual graphic and turn it into a a tactile and have it be meaningful. It turns out 
that clutter is really the enemy in designing good tactile graphics. And in order for a, a graphic to be readable, it needs to be pretty sparse. Right. I'll bet there's a lot of detailed information on many prints, a lot of small print, a lot of you know print and geographic locations squashed together, and you just can't blow that up easily in Braille or feel that kind of detail with your fingers. That's right. And, and of course, the same principle holds true for, for visual information, but for tactile information, the clutter threshold is a lot lower. So the problem really is that if you want to make a clear tactile graphic, as you start labeling stuff, the labels turn into clutter. So how do you know what to throw out and what to save? What's important for the blind person? That's a great question. Um, and one of the ways around making decisions like that is to turn to a technology called audio tactile graphics, which is a mixed medium of using a tactile graphic with uh, some labeling in Braille, but also to have a computer-assisted component that knows what part of the graphic you're touching and gives you audio information about that as you need it. Well, now that sounds really intriguing. How did you achieve that? I figured out how to use an off-the-shelf smart pen technology for audio tactile graphics so that you can program the pen and then wherever you tap the graphic, the pen will tell you whatever labeling information you program into the pen. And we've applied that to a bunch of different mapping and uh, STEM-related science, technology, engineering, and math-related materials, as well as museum booklets and all sorts of other stuff. For a solution like you're describing here, it sounds like essentially what you're describing is a pen that you move over the surface and it describes what's underneath the tip of the pen. How off the shelf is this type of solution? Can you sort of import any map you want into it or does the map have to be pre-processed ahead of time? When you use the pen, the pen is actually interacts with printout materials. So you, you would use it with physical tactile graphics. So you would make a paper-based sheet that's been pre-programmed into the pen and built into the visual image on the sheet is a set of visual markers that the pen cues off of, but that are really too small to be seen with the human eye. Also on the paper are the tactiles that I talked about. So the braille and the, and the raised lines that the blind person uses to orient to the graphic. And then the pen itself is programmed with the uh, location information of different things that it might that you might want to label or annotate and so when you tap the pen on this visual and tactile graphic you hear information about what the pen is tapping so it doesn't include a computer at all which makes it very portable very inexpensive and very easy to use but you did hit on something. It's not the kind of thing that a teacher can readily create materials with. It's a thing that's more suited to creating products for. So, for example, we created for it a um, talking periodic table that fits onto a landscape legal sized piece of paper so that a blind person who uh, most of whom even sciency types uh, I didn't see a full periodic table until I was a grown up, even though I studied chemistry and physics. I heard about the periodic table. I had it described, but I never actually saw one. There's nothing like actually touching it and being able to move around a two-dimensional surface to get an idea of how it's laid out. Right. 
Right. So for our listeners who may never also have seen a periodic table, there are over a hundred different elements and each one is allocated on a normal size sheet of paper, a square that's well under an inch on a side. So maybe the size of your thumbnail. And there's all sorts of information in each of these squares. There's the name, the atomic number, the atomic weight. There's a dozen pieces of information and that would be absolutely impossible to replicate in Braille in that amount of real estate. Exactly. So what we did was we took that amount of real estate and instead of putting all of that information into it, we simply wrote the atomic symbol. So the one or two letter symbol for that element. And there's not enough room, as Nancy said, to provide any information about the element other than its name in Braille. And so when you tap it with the pen, the first thing it says is hydrogen, atomic number one. And then if you tap it again, it says atomic weight. And then if you keep tapping it, it says the melting point and the boiling point and the density. And um, it's got 17 some odd different layers of information that you can get through the audio. But with the tactile component, you get to quote unquote, see the structure of the table, which is its elegance and beauty and um, would without a technology that lets you probe down through these layers of information um, would be so big as to make it meaningless in, in a tactile form. Now, you said there was no computer involved in this system. Does that mean the pen has some smarts built into it? <laughs> this must be a special pen. The computer is inside the pen. It's called a, a smart pen. It's made by a company called LiveScribe. And uh, it's got a, a little ARM computer in it with a microphone and a speaker. And in the tip of the pen is a little camera that looks at the encoded location information on the page when you tap. And it looks through its two gigabytes of memory and plays the audio clip associated with that spot on the page. And it's a computer, so it knows it's able to keep track. You know, did I already tap here once? If I tapped here once, then let me play the second layer of information. If I tapped here twice, I'll play the third layer of information. If I tap somewhere else, I'll play the first layer of information for that new spot. Well, if we can have smartphones, why not smart pens? What's another cool technology that you've worked on? So another th thing, for example, I, um, when iPhones first came out, I noticed that typing on them was a real pain in the neck. And I also realized that, um, you know, carrying around uh, an extra keyboard or a, a Braille display is um, also kind of a, you know, a burden. I've noticed. I came up with this idea called the Wearer Braille, which um, never took off as a product, but was really fun to work on. It's basically a pair of gloves, um, fingerless. If you've ever worn biking gloves, it's sort of like that. And on each finger of the fingerless biking gloves is an accelerometer. And on the back of each of the gloves is a Bluetooth radio. And the two gloves communicate wirelessly to each other and also wirelessly to your iPhone or whatever else you connect it up to. And it looks just like a keyboard. And if I tap just my left forefinger on any hard surface, it sends a letter A to the computer. If I tap my first finger and second finger of my left hand on a tabletop, it sends the letter B. If I tap my two forefingers at the same time on a tabletop, it sends 
the letter C. So it's it's a virtual wireless Braille keyboard that lets you type Braille on any hard surface and um, keeps your fingers free for counting money or pushing elevator buttons or shaking hands. You know, it doesn't give you an extra keyboard to drop or to uh, pull out of your backpack. And it's just always there ready to go. And it was really, really fun to work on. Um, There's a great uh, YouTube video of uh, me demoing our demo unit. But it turns out that while um, many of the things that I do uh, turn into products and turn into actual things that make it into people's backpacks, but um, not everything. This is one of the things that um, I think is still a really cool idea, and somebody may pick it up at some point, but not yet. Well, as you say, not every concept becomes a reality, but it's important to be investigating new concepts, new ways of doing things, new paradigms. And then there are people who are good at making prototypes, and sometimes you test it out in the market. But there's a lot more to just developing concepts and prototypes to getting things to market and general acceptance. It takes a little bit of everybody to go through that process and hone out the ideas that are really going to work for everybody at an affordable price. And it really does get back to one of the things that you mentioned earlier, the fact that I am blind, the fact that I use accessible technology in my own life, the fact that I live in and work directly with a large and vibrant blind community here in San Francisco really means that I have an excellent grip on what kinds of things will make a difference or be useful. So when I come up with something to try, I'm already starting at a level far above what most sighted inventors would be. You at least know the needs of the blind individual. Exactly. And it's not like I, you know, decide, oh, this is important because I think it's important. You know, I come up with ideas because I think they're they're good ideas. And then I sort of do a bunch of research to say, do other people think this is a good idea? Does this design work for you know, this group or that group, um, how can we modify the design so that it's more appropriate for, let's say, you know, uh, middle school users or, you know, other things. So the inspiration is personally based, but the execution is science-based. So you've also worked on some navigation systems, I take it. Yes. So obviously, tactile street maps are great for building an idea of what a neighborhood is like and how, how to get around in a neighborhood. But at the same time, you don't stand on a street corner with your tactile map and say, where the heck is the pharmacy, right? So actually getting around requires access to real-time local information about what's around you. And so one of the tools that I've uh, helped develop more recently is an iPhone app called Over There. It's all one word. It is a really cool little wayfinding app. I'm not trying to compete with the big kids like Blind Square and Seeing Eye GPS or Nearby Explorer or anything like that, those are great products. But what Over There does is to give you a very quick and easy way of looking around you at any given time and finding out what's over there. And you do it by pointing your iPhone in different directions. And as you point your iPhone, it just says Walgreens, you know, tells you how far away it is, tells you what the address is, and you can point your phone in any direction you want and hear what businesses or services are in that direction. And so it does this by, um, it knows where you are 
because of GPS, and it knows what direction you're pointing your phone because of the compass in your phone, and it knows where everything is because it asks Google. It's just a wonderful way of getting quick and dirty information about exactly where something is. So if you're walking down the street, you can point it and see what businesses are on the other side of the street. You can tell very easily uh, which one is to the left and which one is to the right. And you can even do things like once you hear a business, if you want to get more information about that business, you can then uh, tap on the name on your phone and even go to their website or call the business. I have a funny story associated with this app. I downloaded it some time ago. I thought it was really kind of neat. As you say, just a very simple interface, very easy to use, just point where you want to point. I was at home in our suburban community, and I was pointing it around in various directions. And it was, of course, telling me the house numbers as I pointed at each house. And then I pointed across the street, and it said that it was an ice cream shop. And I thought, ice cream shop? Where did it get that from? And then I remembered that our neighbor across the street several years earlier, had opened up an ice cream shop, kind of the business was registered at his home. Ah. <laughs> so it's kind of a funny experience. But it's really, as you say, a very simple and easy app to use. Oh, I'm glad you've, I'm glad you've tried it. Yeah. And the ice cream was terrific, too. <laughs> <laughs> if not healthy. So what other interesting projects have you been involved with? You know, one of the projects that I'm uh, sort of the most proud of is a thing called You Describe. This is a thing that exists now. Anybody can go and check it out. It's at youdescribe.org. So how does this system work? You go to You Describe, and it's, it provides a YouTube player. You can watch any YouTube video you want using You Describe. But if you find a video that needs description, you can click on the appropriate link. And if you have a microphone, you can start describing that video. And you record uh, audio description clips, you know, one by one. As you go through the video, you find the spots where it needs audio description. You record a little clip at that spot. And when somebody else, anywhere else, uh, watches that video on You Describe, your description will be available to them and they will watch it and see the video and they'll hear your description synchronized with the video. The cool part is that the descriptions have nothing to do with YouTube. We are storing the descriptions on our server and the video is not being copied or redistributed or messed with in any way. We're streaming it straight from YouTube when you view it, but we're also keeping track of what time it is in the video, and we're playing the audio descriptions at the appropriate time. So all you need is a web browser to check this out. So now for a sighted person, they can go there and offer to annotate some of these videos with some extra descriptive audio. For a visually impaired person, is there sort of an on-demand feature that I'd like to see this particular YouTube video described, or what they get is what they get? No, there's a wish list. So if you go and you want a particular video described, you can go to you describe, you search for that video, you add it to the wish list by clicking the wish list button. And then if a volunteer or sighted viewer comes along, they can look at the wish list. They'll see that video on the wish list and they can look through the whole thing and say, I don't really want to describe, you know, movies about bear maulings, but I do want to describe videos about kittens. So, uh, you know, they'll choose their uh, the video that appeals to them. You can also just send your video request, for example, to a buddy who you know would think that the video is funny, 
and say, can you please describe this on you describe for me? If you are looking for a video on a particular topic, you can search for it. It's all free and it all is browser-based, doesn't require any special technology or um, doesn't require you to install anything on your computer. By the way, one of the cool things about it is that if somebody describes a video and you think you could do better, you can record your own description. And then there's a rating system so that you know your description, if it's better, will get rated more highly than the other description and will float to the top. Well, what a great variety of fun, useful, and interesting projects you've had the opportunity to work on. Now for this week's final item, how you can learn more about the Smith Kettlewell Eye Research Institute and Josh's research projects, as well as how to contact him. So if people want to find out more about Smith Kettlewell, what goes on there, and about some of your research, where would you send them? Well, we have a great website. It's www.ski.org. So if people have any questions for you, is there an email address where you would be happy to hear from them? Absolutely, yeah. People can email me at jam at ski.org. And do you and or Smith Kettlewell have a social media presence? Yes. Smith Kettlewell has a, a Facebook page. You Describe has a great Facebook page. Also, You Describe has a Twitter feed. We do have an over there Twitter feed. And we have just a general Smith Kettlewell rehabilitation engineering Twitter feed. All of those, I would love it if you would put those in your program notes. And they will be there. One other question. You mentioned the touch pen. I was wondering if that is available and if it's used for other applications for the blind these days. Uh, there are three major vendors, I think, of, of pen-enabled uh, tactile graphics materials. So one is, of course, touch graphics. Steve Landau has created a, a great number of really cool technologies that use the smart pen, including the periodic table that I mentioned, and a number of other uh, really nice STEM-based and education-based materials. Steve has also collaborated with the American Printing House to create uh, a U.S. map that works with the pen, which is a very hot seller. So APH is uh, making pen-based materials. And then the San Francisco Lighthouse, one of the things that I help them produce is a audio-tactile set of transit maps for what we call the BART system, the Bay Area Rapid Transit System. And, of course, we'll have links to all of the contact information that Josh talked about and much more in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. So go there to find it all. That's it for show number 1802. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll talk about building electronics projects. Though Ken Perry and Josh Mealy are both blind, their lack of vision doesn't prevent them from designing and building their own electronic hardware. We'll speak with them about the Blind Arduino Project, as well as other tools that enable blind people of all ages to participate in hardware prototyping. 
If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.